Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it no matter how much it is. If you want to hold our hair while we barf in the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Canadian Politics is Boring! Welcome to another exciting episode of Canadian Politics is Boring. This week we are doing a very special episode. My, uh, myself, Reese. Reese, say hello. Hi. Hi, Reese. Thank you. It's good to see you again. Buddy. Hi. You're looking good. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're we're joined in the studio with Minute Women podcast, Linnea and Grace, uh, who are going to tell us all about, uh, well, we're going we're gonna to watch a, a Canadian Heritage Minute, which yeah. Reese has no idea. He's uh, is, is, is brand new to the concept of Canadian Heritage Minutes. And then we're going to break down what the Canadian Heritage Minute was all about and in a wonderful hour of history learning about Canada. So thank you guys for having us on the show. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited Super to be exciting. here. Do I'm you, excited to share Heritage Minutes with you guys. <laughs> do, do you want to tell our audience a bit about your show? Yeah, so Minute Women Podcast is a Canadian history podcast. Each week we choose a different Canadian Heritage Minute, which are those like iconic 60-second commercials that used to air and still air all the time. Um, a new and one just came out two weeks ago. A new one came out very recently. Amazing. And we take the premise that 
in 60 seconds, you can't tell the whole story. So we take whatever the topic of that minute is, and then we dive deeper into it, and we find out all the terrifying, funny stories that's left out of Canadian history. Yes, Grace does loads and loads of research, and I come here and I have a good time. I feel like uh, it's very similar to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But this is weird for me, because usually I'm the one with a laptop with all the information. Oh, I feel like I always have such a huge advantage coming into every episode. It's it's really a power move. (laughs) And now I've got to sit here and prove myself that without information, I can be funny. It's terrifying. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Well, I guess we should go watch the minute. We're going to watch the Grey Owl Heritage Minute. Yeah. Before we do, and this is a seamless transition, Jesse's got a story to tell. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. So, okay, Jesse, Jesse, what is this story? So this story you can you can keep in your podcast or not at all, uh, or ours. You can cut it out altogether. No, this is going in. Trust me. It's the most ridiculous. So, <clears throat> two nights. So, I live. Uh, I live with some roommates, and I live upstairs in kind of a loft area. And three stories up, so like a like a three story building, and we've got a deck up top, and stairs coming all the way up to our deck, which is where I'm watching TV. So I'm just watching TV. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm having a quiet night, and then suddenly I hear a banging at my door, three <gasps> stories up, and there's this man banging, screaming to let me in. He's like, "Let me in! Let me in!" I'm like, "No, <laughs> that's that's not." But what's going on? He's like, "You Someone- can you can die on the street." No. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I said. No. So I'm like, what's going on? It's like, someone's trying to kill me. Someone's oh trying to kill god. me. Oh my god. Yeah, so I'm like, uh, okay, this is happening. So he then, like, he runs onto our deck away from my door, and he's now on the deck, and he's, like, hiding and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, this is, I'm obviously, I have to deal with this. So I'm like, okay, so I open the door. I'm like, Oh my what's... god. As a young woman in Halifax, I, I just want to let you know this is what you don't do. Right, no, don't um, do that. Yeah, no, don't be Jesse. Don't be Jesse. And yeah. don't open the door. Well, I'm, trying, I'm trying to help, right? Like, I, I would have got my bear spray. <laughs> How many cans of bear spray do you keep? Just, the just guy, one. Just the guy one didn't seem like he wanted to assault me. He seemed like he was trying to run away from something. And I'm, you know, okay. I can. Anyway, so I, like, I open the door. Probably you're right. Probably not the smartest choice. But again, trying to help. And he's like, someone's trying to kill me. Please call the police. Call 911. Call 911. And he's huddling in the deck to himself. And I'm like, so I take out my phone. He's like, what do you got in your hand? What's that in your hand? So like. The man is, like, at this point, I'm like, okay, there is something not right with the man. He's either on drugs or he's going through a psychotic episode or something like that. And I'm like, it's my phone to call 911, as you requested. And by this point, he's now jumped off of the, so, like, it's kind of like a roof and a deck. So he's, he's hanging off, of the, like, the edge of the, how do I describe this? He he jumps off of the fence of the deck and is now on the roof part. Okay. And he's scared, terrified. I'm trying to coax him over and he won't do it. And he, he goes to the very edge of the roof and I can't see him, but then suddenly I hear a bang and then moaning. And so like he jumped <gasps> off of the roof. Oh That's my like three God. or four floors up. It is, yes. And so he jumped onto my landlord's little got a little precipice on his doorway there. My landlord is in the oh building. And so like he kind of bounced off of okay. half of the roof and then landed in the driveway, losing a shoe and somehow losing a t-shirt on the way. <laughs> yeah. Maybe use it as a parachute. So I go over and I lean over. I can't really see, but like I can hear him moaning. I'm like, all right, he's alive somehow, miraculously. So I'm like, I have to call 911. So I called 911 and I told them. I like how you're so exasperated. Still. Like uh, there's no adrenaline rush. It's just like, uh, I've got to take care of this now. Watching Bly Manor, man. Come on. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I walk down the stairs. I'm like, yeah, I'm on the phone describing to the 911 operator what, what just happened. It's like, yeah, man, just 
jumped off my roof <laughs> three stories up and I he saw And they Hayes. think um, you're high. <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> so I, I, I go down around and by this point my roommate who was visiting some neighbors comes out because they all hear a crash, right? Yeah. And and I see the guy is lying on the ground and I'm describing to the 911 operator what he looks like because she asked me to. And then the guy sees us terrified that we're trying to kill him and he takes off running. So like any person he sees is automatically trying to kill him, right? <laughs> and he runs away down the street and I, and she's like, and I'm like, oh, he's gone. She's just left. And the 911 operator is like, oh, okay, right? Uh, can you see where he went? And I go around the corner and he's gone. I can't find him at all. Meanwhile, my my one of my neighbors who's having a party comes up to me out of the out of the blue, and she's like, "Is that the cops? Are you talking to the cops? Don't tell them where I live because I have so many drugs in my place." Oh my gosh! <laughs> and the nine one operator is on speakerphone, and there's this just silence for like three to five seconds between the three of us, and the nine one one operator just suddenly breaks the silence, going. Wow. Okay, so <laughs> tell me about the man again. Right? <laughs> Meanwhile, my roommate goes upstairs because he realizes that the, the apartment is unlocked, so he goes to lock the door. The man did not run away. The man went around the building and back up the stairs into our apartment. Okay, oh. he's now huddling, he's hiding. Inside he's inside the house. So he's now hiding. This is where it gets so fucking crazy. He's now hiding. It, it is where it gets crazy. Not already crazy. <laughs> you've gets, met. You've met. Amateur Spider-Man. <laughs> and this is where it gets crazy. So he's hiding in between two chairs, terrified. My roommate comes up. Oh, there's another man trying to kill him. So he now runs out of the deck. Now, our stairs leading up to our deck is just a few feet away from the door to our building. But instead of using the stairs, the man's fucking swan dives off of the deck. Okay? Just... Just, Did you call 911 back? Oh, I was uh, still on the phone. I wasn't seeing this. I didn't. I was just like, while this is happening, I'm on the ground going, I don't know where it could be. Oh, it's just gone, I guess. It's just, I don't Did know. land on top of you then? No, my roommate grabbed him in mid-fall. No. Yeah, so he's like, he's holding on to the guy's arm, dangling Holy three stories shit. off of like the balcony, right? So he, my roommate now like pulls him up, like just barely grabs him up. The man's like shirtless, shoeless, or he's got one shoe on, right? And then he takes off running and there's another parapet like two stories up. He runs down and he climbs onto that and takes his pants off. And so... <laughs> As you do. As, As you do. And, so, and now the cops have actually shown up. A bunch of cops have shown up and God love them. They actually do like a fairly decent job of being very cautious and calm with him and they're very patient and they spend a good like 45 to 50 minutes trying to talk him off the Aww. ledge. And he's so terrified. He's like, show me your badges. I didn't call you. Like you did call us. You, this, we're here. This is why they're trying. So like the man's, I don't, again, don't know what's wrong with him. 45 minutes in, the sergeant shows up oh. and he's, clearly agitated that this is taking so long. So he grabs a ladder and he grabs, grabs his flashlight and he climbs up and he sticks the ladder on the, uh, against the roof and he puts the flashlight in the guy's face. He's like, you're coming down with us right now. Now, amazingly, that worked. He just cha- <laughs> because the man has already jumped that's off the roof That's why that guy's twice. the sergeant, you know? That's why that's his job. He, he knows the there's third another time. option. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the, the police calmly, for the next 45 minutes, shot him. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> One bullet every five minutes. Yeah. So the ambulance <laughs> showed shot. up. Ambulance showed up. They handcuffed him. They brought him into the ambulance. And then we had to kind of tell the police, like, you need to tell the ambulance drivers that he jumped off of a three-story roof and land and survived. Like, he might have a number of broken bones. Yeah, or like, internal oh, injuries. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that was my, uh, 
That was, that was my Saturday well, night. I'm, I'm, glad we had, I'm, I'm glad we had a seamless segue into that. I was going to say, I really, I really thought that because you were so excited to share it, it was going to be Canadian history related. No, but no, no, not at no, all. No, sir. You yes. should make a heritage minute about that. About though. that guy. Yeah. Well, Canada's Spider-Man. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a heritage minute. After that. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> let's go watch some dry Canadian TV. <laughs> And we're back. We're back. <laughs> we're back. Just got back from watching. Just wanted to join in. The best Heritage Minute. <laughs> Reese has experienced his uh, first Heritage Minute. And yes. Reese, tell us, how was it? Uh, it was pretty fast. Um, it's a minute. It's only a minute, yeah. Uh, no, but that was the thing. I was like, oh, cool, great. I settled down to, to watch a bit of history. And then by the time I started to form some questions in my head. And by the time I was like, okay, right, what is going on here? It was the end. <laughs> Already the end. That's how all Canadians have learned about their history. Yeah. This is it. One minute chunks. We don't know. If, if we've learned something about Canadian history, it's through this. Yeah. So it's essentially, yeah. it's, there's no, I, I feel quite unsatisfied. I felt like I was teased. <laughs> so was that it was to tease people into wanting more history. Um, Canadian I, history, very unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I will say that for that particular Heritage Minute in general, I think because they took it from a full-length movie, um, it's not as, it doesn't have as much closure as a typical minute has. Usually they're yeah. kind of like a top-to-end story of something that's happened. Um, I was going to say that like I, when I first saw it, I was like, holy shit, this, oh, can we swear on your podcast? Is that uh, thing? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Okay. It's preferred. <laughs> when I when I first saw it so many years ago, I was like, "Wow, this has a an immense budget, like just just that massive. one minute, yeah, yeah." I was like, oh, "They threw a lot into this," but that's not it at all. It was just they they made a movie. I guess the movie wasn't released or something, and they it, it was released. So it's called the Gray Owl movie, <laughs> starring Pierce Brosnan. People yeah. can go watch it. I don't think it was particularly well received. No. That being said, I Shocker. believe that the CRB Foundation helped to fund, fund it. it, and so they had some kind of like partial claim to it, and they were able to edit it down and use it on public broadcast. Oh, wow. Right. Um, in these heritage minutes, like these these one minute clips, um, which. Like Reese mentioned, this Heritage Minute is particularly chaotic. It has yes. multiple sets. There's yeah. a bunch of characters that they introduce you to. Yeah. You have actors speaking in particular accents that make it so difficult to understand what they're saying. Like, yeah. there's a man on the dock who, like, yells at him saying that he knows he's not a First Nations and says the infamous line, if he's a Red Indian, then I'm the king of China. Um, but <laughs> the accent that he brilliant. uses is it's like... It's a very it's, thick Scottish accent. Well, it's like right. slightly Scottish, but also a little bit mid-Atlantic. Like, it's like he can't quite make up what kind of accent that he's using. I that think, guy I was think, really using his screen time. He was like, yeah. I'm going to make the most of this line. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is my big shot. I think it was a, a Canadian actor doing what he thinks a Scottish person yeah, sounds definitely. Okay. Right. Okay. That makes more. Yeah. So I am curious, because I don't know anything about the story of, of uh, oh my God, what's it, what is it, Red Owl? No. Grey Owl. Grey Owl. I do, I do. Well, pseudonym. It was a, a mute British person. <laughs> <laughs> Who looked a lot like it, Pierce Brosnan. Right, right. I was going to say, Jesse, you are in luck, because that is the premise of our podcast. Oh, Grace is going to educate us on the infamous Grey Owl. Yeah. Infamous, Grace. famous, 
Inf- yeah, I think infamous is the okay. right word. He's actually very important to Canada's development of a, a national park system. Huh. What? So he's, yeah. for a long time, and at this point in time, he's kind of remembered for his conservation efforts because he was a huge promoter of, like, protecting the forests and protecting wildlife before that was kind of mainstream. <laughs> that being said, he was also an Englishman pretending to be um, an Ojibwe man yeah. for most of his life. He wrote and published books under the name Grey Owl, and he toured the world pretending to be First Nations. Yeah. Why? And it wasn't revealed until after his death that he wasn't. Which, like, <laughs> isn't cool. Which we don't promote today. <laughs> we don't suggest that. No, and that's kind of the premise uh, of the... Minute Women cool. does not yeah. condone so pretending that, to be a different race. Yeah, so that was kind of that moment where there um, he's in with the the chiefs and they're having that moment where they're like laughing at him because they're like you're just a little white boy but like thank you for helping get information yeah. out about so he uh, did it to help. people he yeah I mean he did have a genuine sense that yeah. like conservation is good but also that scene where the chiefs are like yeah it's like you are what you dream you are like wink, that, wink. That's totally it's a fabrication. This is not just written for the film. That was just, just written for the film. Make you like his character more. Yeah, it's definitely to be like, see, they said it was okay. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> these actors we paid to say it was okay said yeah. it was. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like, so did, did he represent indigenous people in an honorable way despite the fact it's wrong he was pretending to do it or was it um was it an act was it like a stage show or something or what, what, how did he do it so what i knew about grail going <clears throat> into this because i had learned about him in a canadian history class is that he he helped to form national parks he promoted conservation before it was mainstream and he was a huge drunk so yes. like wow. those Why are didn't welcome, they have the the welcome to Canadian <laughs> history, folks. <laughs> they were all drunk, raging alcoholic. So perhaps that's why he didn't talk because he was <laughs> right. Just, just blaster. <laughs> so thanks, thank you for telling me that. It's great. I like yes, cheers. Circle yeah. <laughs> <Special> box. Everyone <laughs> 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 consider that the trees are our friends. They're all our friends. They're buddies. I like hugging trees. <laughs> I love beavers. <laughs> beavers are great. <laughs> Really great. <laughs> so the best. How I, I'm really intrigued. Like I'm sure he's from like a really boring part of the UK. Well, I mean, let's find out. Shall yeah, we yeah, dive into it. his whole life yeah, yeah, story? Yeah. Don't steal her thunder. No, no, no. I'm this is like, no, not. Absolutely not. This is a perfect segue. Perfect segue. You can tell me if this is a boring part of England. Okay. If you have any quotes directly from him, can you read them as in a drunkest voice possible? Oh, she definitely will. This is how we do. This is how we do it here. Great. Minute Women podcast is like part history, part me really trying to do accents. Yeah. And excellent. failing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very happy to hear this. this is- <laughs> All right. So his real name is Archie Bellini, which they Archie. briefly say in the episode. Um, but Archie Bellini was born on September 18th, 1888. He was raised by his two aunts, Janie and Julia, in the town of Hastings on the English Channel. Is that a boring part of England? Yeah. I suppose, I suppose <laughs> no, it's a pretty part of England, but it's kind of like a seaside. Kind of, no, Hastings is just off the coast. Pretty quiet country village. Quiet, remote. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, church, probably like 
people riding bikes, red phone boxes, that children kind of thing. being raised by their aunts. Yeah, children. Yeah, you know, everyone's being raised by their aunts. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> Even everyone their aunts. Everyone in the town of Mason <laughs> <laughs> raised by their aunts. Okay. Um, I just don't. Yeah, certainly nothing like the kind of world he was pretending to be a part of. In his okay. <laughs> Freshly baked bread, you know, that kind of thing. Pies in the window. Steam engines. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of wild hunts on the plains. No, no buffalo. No, no, no. buffalo. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> so in regards to his background, um, Archie's grandparents were both Scottish. Uh, his grandfather was a Scottish-born merchant and shipbroker, and they come from a pretty wealthy socialite family uh, from Yorkshire. And had only, and they only had one son. So Archie's father is the only son of this pretty wealthy family. Archie's father's name was George, and he was endowed with all the lavish attention and revenue of his mother after the death of his father, and he received an expensive education. With his mother's help, he began a business in London in tea and coffee that soon failed, and then, <laughs> you know, you know, you know. <laughs> fail selling tea. <laughs> right. It's like, how did you mess this up? <laughs> It's like Trump with his casinos. Well, and I was going to say, they're in England. How do you screw up selling tea in England? Yeah, exactly. It's like you have the best market for that product. (laughs) So after his business fails, he decides that he's going to go on a really costly big game expedition to South Africa. Okay. Okay. As a real white do. guy does. Right, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> fail at selling tea, you go hunt things to yeah, just to feel better. To That's feel just, better, yeah. yeah. I really need to fill the void that tea left in my life. <laughs> that, that was I a, think I need to kill a lion. <laughs> That's like a Victorian gap year. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I'll be back in a year. I just I really just need to like find myself. <laughs> and some elephant tusks. <laughs> and some elephant tusks. <laughs> Expect ivory. <laughs> oh goody, a new keyboard for the piano. Oh my god. Ebony and Ivory, that's my son. (laughs) Upon his return, he departed for the United States quite quickly to invest in an orange grove plantation. So tea tea and coffee doesn't work out. So he's gonna be like, you know what the next big thing is? Oranges. (laughs) Citrus. Big citrus. Big citrus guy. Wow, was this like California or so it's Florida. So oh, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to Florida. His investment fails again. Of uh, course. Because up till this point, we have no evidence that he's actually a good businessman. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sensing why he might have eventually become a drunk. Just <laughs> <laughs> so this is just his So this daddy. is just his dad. This is just this our is so dad. you know Archie might have become oh, really? a drunk because of the daddy issues, but uh, it's oh, wow. daddy who oh, can't keep I, a business. I totally afloat. missed yeah. that. Like I missed that. Yeah. that it was a bad. I thought this was Archie. I'm like no. Archie's led a full life. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I do love Archie's the dad. idea of okay. transitioning from big game hunter to conservationist. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> Maybe the conservationist thing is just a rejection of his father. Yeah, like, I'm not my dad. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to save trees. This is the second time we've we've talked about a uh, famous person's father being an unsuccessful merchant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny McDonald's. Johnny McDonald's. Oh, trust Do you know about his brother? Johnny McDonald's brother? Oh, go Brutal listen to episode murder. one. Ronald. <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> oh, that's a joke. The successful restaurateur. <laughs> Sorry, there's a terrible uh, Oh, oh, that's the British humor I've heard about. <laughs> it's, too, it's too dry, too dry. <laughs> Oh, there's nothing better than someone pointing out the fact that you just made a joke and then saying it's funny. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> that has humor. I recognize humor. Please. I, yeah, yeah, I'm aware of it. <laughs> Please email 
all Canadian politics yeah, yeah, yeah. is boring if you <laughs> think that Reese's joke was funny. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Jesse had one. We'll get more. <laughs> so yes, John McDonald has a yeah failing father. And, uh, and so yeah. does Archie. So does Archie. Archie's not even born yet, and his dad's doing all this stuff. He's right? adventurous, though. He is adventurous. Yeah, he's that. not afraid yeah. of finding a new country to fail in. <laughs> he's one of those, like, rich kid entrepreneurs who's yeah. got the money just to keep... So industrious. Exactly. So industrious. If he was alive today, he'd have a big Instagram following and would have founded, like, three failed apps. Right? Hey, guys. <laughs> just bought yeah. another orange plantation. Yeah, yeah. I'm about to start a live stream. <laughs> so I want, I want to know what happened with his, his orange plantation. Is it a plantation? An orange plantation? It's called an orange grove plantation, and the investment fails again. Okay. So George goes back to Britain, this time with his wife. So he marries a woman in Florida. An American. Her, uh, I don't know if she was American or if she just happened to be in America. She just happened to be around. Uh, her name is Kitty. Oh. And That's a cute name. She was pregnant and she was half his age. She Which is was a, pregnant when he met her? No, I think he okay. got her pregnant. Okay, that's a big difference. Yeah, that's, that's a very yeah. big difference. You did not word that correctly. <laughs> and not, and she's half his age by the oh, time they go back. Of course she is. Well, I mean, that's pretty standard for yeah. the 1800s. Rich boys starting yeah. orange plantations. <laughs> so Kitty, they, they are boring places to be, Mike. You've got to pass the time. So. <laughs> uh, so. Knocking down oranges, knocking up girls. <laughs> There you go. That could have been a slogan. Yeah. <laughs> Should have been. <laughs> Maybe that's hey, what it Mom, is I'm back. <laughs> and I brought this broad with me. She's half my age, and I knocked her up. Are Did you, you bring proud? anything? Up top, I Mom. I hope you like oranges. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a choice. <laughs> so Kitty gave birth to Archie soon after they arrived in Hastings, um, where Julia and her two unmarried daughters had recently moved from London. So those are his aunts. They'd recently moved there from London. So many aunts. So yes. many aunts. <laughs> so many aunts. By this time, George's alcoholism had sharply reduced the family's fortune. So daddy's a drunk, too. Uh, you know. Great. As you do. As <laughs> He still refused to settle down, so he's still just like, I gotta make my money somewhere. I've gotta go. I gotta kick the dust of this crummy little town off my feet. Do it. Don't <laughs> start another business. And two years later, he abandoned Kitty, uh, who uh, had just <clears throat> born their second son. Oh. oh. George would eventually travel to North America, where he apparently died around 1910, but we don't know the circumstances. Oh, no. She just went really to North America and died. Dad just went and died, yeah. <laughs> just just stood, like took a one step off the boat and just I have, my, I have my ticket yeah. for the steamship. I won't be back. <laughs> <laughs> a fortune teller told me my death will occur yeah. as soon as I get off. Don't He's stay like, up. George, George, when are you going to be back? No, bye. <laughs> no, bye. <laughs> And is, that, is it like lost in the sands of time? It's just kind of like the exact time and circumstances are just kind of unknown. Yeah. You like, could make it up and we'd believe you. How do I want him to die? There you go. Probably like a buffalo killed him or something. Right. It's like this as is soon for as my he brother. Off the steamship. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> as soon as he steps off the onto the pier of Halifax, a buffalo Oof. ran over him. <laughs> Freak accident. Yeah. <laughs> From his new when did you say he when did you say he got yeah. to Halifax or he didn't come to Halifax so it's a, like so he, they could have been the explosion you could really tie this all in yeah I could really tie it up he died in nineteen ten he dies in nineteen ten uh, yeah, so that's well, a good seven years early we're early yeah. yeah I can't give you more answers I apologize it was a pretty big explosion. I'm failing him <laughs> it, it could have killed someone killed in the people past. in the past yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it traveled through time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. That is so going to be the plot of some like smut book written in Halifax. <laughs> it's like uh, the Halifax explosion blows someone through time. That's how big the explosion was. And then they fall in love in the future. It's just like really trying to like take advantage of the outer <laughs> land like market. I'm still stuck on blows you through time. Yeah, because like, you said time a traveler's novel, wife. And yeah. I was like, what? Hold on. That's that's got some real dirty connotations there. Eyebrows, eyebrows, eyebrows. Blow me through time, baby. <laughs> my mom's definitely not listening to this one <laughs> i straight up asked my mother to not listen to specific podcasts oh, and she no. ignores me my completely. parents listen to every episode and every yeah, time there's like too. you know they love it mostly oh, good. yeah okay they don't like when i call them out though i'll call them out on stuff and he's like my dad's like i feel betrayed <laughs> how dare uh, you tell them my secrets big shout out to to mitch mcnutt mitch mcnutt my father hello hello mitch he's a great yeah. great guy great oh, guy, he's such a great so guy. much so better than archie's dad yeah. <laughs> yes. very present in my life <laughs> has he ever owned an orange plantation not that i'm aware okay. of uh no he grew up near truro i don't think they grow oranges there i don't think so no Anyways, so after their ne'er-do-well brother is gone, so they don't know what happened to him, um, Ada and Carrie had intervened and taken Archie with them. So the aunts, they're like... From his mom? So, yeah, it's so the mom has three kids that we know of, and these two sisters are like, we'll take care of our brother's son, I guess. Where did did Kitty go? Uh, Oh, yeah. Who's to say? I guess she's just like... (laughs) She's just like... We're sorry, Kitty. We've decided you're not good enough for your own children. <laughs> My logical guess would be that as an abandoned single mother with two children, she uh, may have only been able to take care of one of them. Yeah. yeah not to bring fair. down the tone of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But that would be my guess. Or she's just a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> Who's to say? I like going with the terrible person route. That's always fun. Let's it's, do it. Yeah, Let's makes, do it. Me, makes me feel less bad about what I said. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm just here to guilt trip you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> she was an awful mother. And that's it. <laughs> it's on your entire Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> Reese looked up one thing in advance of this episode. <laughs> I know for a fact. That <laughs> I know for a fact that his mom was a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so Ada ran a very strict household. Uh, she taught Archie first at home, so like homeschooling, instilling him with a lifelong love of literature and music. The stern, formal woman stressed obedience and excellence just as she did with the collies that she bred. Okay. So that's always a good comparison. Wow. <laughs> I'll raise this boy like a dog, and then everything will be fine. Everything the dogs turned okay. out fine. <laughs> that's amazing. He's really learning to sit very well. She takes him for walks every day. He can jump through a hoop. <laughs> Archie raises his leg to pee. He's like, what? (laughs) It's all I know. Clean up after your child. (laughs) After three years in a small church school, Archie entered the Hastings Grammar School at the age of 11 in 1899. Even as a young boy, his passions were of North American indigenous peoples and wildlife. Ada, to her credit, understood the importance of the natural world to him and allowed him to keep his rabbits, snakes, and mice on the top floor of their home. How kind. <laughs> what a generous aunt. Right. <clears throat> she filled his water dish every day. Yeah. So he was in the attic. So that's where he keeps his little menagerie. Is, this has got to be in the film, like a little boy in the attic with his animals. Right? When, when I heard the, the, that he was raised by his two aunts, I could only picture James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. Of like this, I haven't actually seen that or read it. 
It, the movie is excellent. Yeah, yeah, the book yeah. is also very sweet. So with his books on indigenous peoples, his menagerie, and his solitary walks to look for plants and animals, the lonely boy lived in a dream world of his own making. Creatively, he invented two fictional parents. To explain the absence of his parents, he developed the story that his father was a Western Plainsman and his mother was a Native American. Oh. So oh, wow. even as a young child, he's like, I am indigenous and my parents are indigenous. So it's kind of and like, that's why they're not here. So, do you know, I got a lot more sympathy knowing that it wasn't like a, a cynical thing where he's like, there's a gap in the market here. He's like in his 20s going, hey, there's a gap in the market. No, I, yeah. You know, there's an act that no one's doing that I could do. Uh, this he is definitely like, has a genuine interest in their culture. Yeah. And, it's just like taking it really, really far. And it's like a coping yeah. mechanism. He's creating... A, a reality that he can that he, he can deal with that yeah. helps right. him deal with the situation he's in, and that's where. It, and then one thing leads to another, and before you know it, you're <laughs> living a life. You're that living a lie. Now, now that brings the, begs the question: Did he start to believe his own lie? Like, yeah, he might genuinely have believed it at that right? point. And it's probably also just the sense of like, well, I'm doing everything that they do, so that's good enough. Like, who's who can tell me otherwise? Also, I do I do worry about. If he was reading books at the time, like that were maybe sociology books or whatever, mm. about like my dad had these textbooks from when he was a kid, and I think they were printed in the fifties. And even then, like the racism that was in those kind of books about other cultures. Oh yeah, oh. this is like early <clears throat> eugenics times. It's, yeah, this is yeah. Like, exactly. This so, is like near turn of the century. So I'm you, sure the books he was reading, a lot of them. So indigenous peoples appear a lot in like exotic travel magazines and like exotic travel books. Oh, yeah, right. Of course. Um, yeah. So Archie's in school and he's good at English and he's good at religious studies, but he like sucks at everything else. He's like not good at math. Or anything, okay. which we can relate to. Yeah. Yes, this is not a math not podcast. Thank okay. God. And then, so Ada's like, okay, because you suck at school, you're allowed. <laughs> you're allowed to not go. Oh, he's like, wow. you're bad at Please it. Please tell so me this is verbatim. This is-, <laughs> this is an exact. Oh, <clears throat> love. You don't have to go to school no more. <laughs> Was that good? You could just say I would be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just play with your mice. <laughs> Get back in your box. <laughs> so at 15, he starts working in a lumber yard. So he continues to love North American indigenous cultures, and he grew so infatuated that he decides that he's just going to up and move to Canada and live with them in the forest. Fucking right. <laughs> he decides that independently without contacting anybody. So he, so he quits his job at the lumber yard. Yeah, he goes... Bye, I'm it's not like a little, cut down trees anymore. It's like a little uh, Chris McCandless, Alexander Supertramp, Into the Wild. Come on, <laughs> somebody. I know Into the Wild. Oh, I yeah, it, no, I yeah. hated that Does he that die movie. in a bus? Do we not read? He pretty much dies on a bus. Yeah, I know, I know it's a book too, but, too, but yeah, the movie is particularly frustrating. The movie is exceptionally, well, actually, anyway. The whole premise. The whole premise of the book and the movie are just trash. I'm going to go live in the forest. John Krakauer, like... Write your own stories about your own experiences. Oh, wait, you did. And We're calling air. you out. See how that went. You've yeah, crack me. hour. I've lost as well. Yeah. It's okay. Fine. This is for crack hour. He knows us. Yeah. Crack He's, hour? He, we have beef. Is there a podcast called Crack Hour? Crack there hour. should be. We're being, a little, be we're being a little facetious. John Crack Hour wrote Into the Wild. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but he should have a podcast and it should be called Crack yeah, Hour. What's new in crack this week? <laughs> what's the crack? <laughs> So he's 17 years old. He's sailing to North America. He sails to Halifax and he arrives in March of 1906. Oh, oh not 1778. I hope the explosion no. doesn't kill him a few years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> 
longer time. <laughs> and from there, he moves to Toronto. So oh. he's he's off to a great start for living in the forest. He's yeah. like, I'm going to go to two, the, uh, yeah, the two, the two metro, cities. Yeah, the, the only two cities. <laughs> Halifax, Toronto. No. <laughs> I'm really up, living it. Camped out in the public gardens in Halifax. Under a tree. He's like, I've been living in a gazebo for months. <laughs> Now, now, keep your pants on. I know we've reached the middle of the episode and you're all very excited, but we've got a very special announcement for all you people out there in podcast land. I talk very, very quickly. So he's in Toronto and he's working there to save money um, to continue his northern journey. Okay. He then takes a train to Quebec and then he's like near the Ottawa River. And he's, then a few months later, he goes further west to Lake Tamagami, which was the home of a small Ojibwe community which were the Teme, Agama, and Nishinabe. Doing my best. Great job, Grace. Bravo. Also known as the deep water people. The deep water people. (laughs) Much easier. The deep water people. So John Egwana and his family welcomed the curious young Englishman into their home. So they're like, this white dude showed up at our doorstep, so we'll take him into our house. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't let him in and feed him, he might die. Imagine him trying to take (laughs) If he dies, that'll be so much more trouble for us. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we better feed him. <laughs> like, we have to keep him alive. So John had a niece named Angel, and she taught Archie their language and gave him lessons in canoeing and trapping. And in 1910, he married Angel in a Christian ceremony. Of course he did. But only a year later, he behaved exactly like his father had and abandoned her oh, with, wow. their, with their infant daughter, Agnes. <gasps> wow. <laughs> he just bailed. Right off the bat. <laughs> Wow. Archie sucks. <laughs> I'm glad you find this as funny as you do. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, patterns. Like father, like son. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I imagine, though, that if he cynically, maybe he was like, I just need to learn enough so I can get out and then tour the world oh, authentically. As, I don't even know what he, he was He needed thinking. to learn how to, like bang a lady on the reservation to be able to like move on with his life he had to father a child it's, it's an important step in, <laughs> in growing into a man yeah, yeah to be a man is to get married and abandon your Ma- new wife yeah. and her and, and the baby, her, and the baby yeah. so <laughs> glad I'm just a woman <laughs> <laughs> just to play sounds devil, really hard I want to play devil's advocate though for Archie because maybe he'd just forgotten to feed his pets in the attic <laughs> and he remembered five years later <laughs> oh my god the mice <laughs> Epic battle between mice and a snake going on in an, in an attic for years. Somewhere. <laughs> At- snake at my aunt. They go back and it's just like Ada goes upstairs and she's like, the snakes run the house now. <laughs> <laughs> it's their house now. Exactly. <laughs> so in the spring of 1912, Archie appeared in the tiny lumbering town of Biscotasing, also known as Bisco, some 100 miles west of Tamagami on the Pacific uh, Canadian Pacific Railway between Sudbury and Chaplow. Okay. He's popping up. In the village, he became well-known for his skill with knife throwing, oh. his expert piano playing what? at dances. Hold on, what? And his heavy drinking. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> his, 
Wait a second. Hold on. Item number so, one, <clears throat> knife throwing. Knife throwing. Item, Item number two, two, expert piano playing. Number Item three, three, heavy drinking. So uh, he, I just like that you, you stated he was well known for this. <laughs> this right? is what like, he's known for. Archie. Oh, yeah, Archie. No, he's great. You should see him. His knife throwing. His uh, piano playing is amazing. And my God, can that man drink? <laughs> yes. You should see him when he does all three at the same time. <laughs> I was gonna say, welcome to uh, welcome to rural parts of Canada where those are three excellent trades to have. Right, he, he downs a, a, a gallon of rum and then he plays yeah. the piano by throwing knives at the keys. Yeah. Imagine that dating profile. It's just like I'm good at knife throwing, piano playing. And I drink a lot. I can drink you under the table. I can drink you under the table. I'll go anywhere as long as you buy the first round. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to support himself and his, his bustling hobbies. Bustling. <laughs> he worked in the summer as a forest ranger and a guide, and then he trapped during the winter. Okay. By this point, he had lost his English accent, and if asked, he would repeat his well-polished tale that he was the son of a Scots frontierman and an Apache woman. So now he has, like, a new background story. Right. He's crafted his own origin story like a superhero. Multiple times, yep. though. Yeah, like, yeah. he can't commit. Oh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Having left his... Le- I mean, we've already seen that with the, with the, his wife and child, so... <laughs> Speaking of her, uh, having left his legal wife, he entered into a relationship with Marie G- Girard. Girard? Oh, no, we got French names on the go. Girard? I think it's pronounced Girard. Uh, potentially, yes. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I could email my friends. I would say, I would say <laughs> connection. Yeah. Girard. Girard, probably. Marie Girard, uh, who was a Métis woman in Bisco. Wife number two of... I'm going to say that there's many wives. <laughs> yeah, you've got good instincts. Oh, do I? Okay, good. Serial <laughs> Maria. <laughs> his piano playing's amazing. His knife throwing's off the chart. And look at his amount of wives. He's, <laughs> it's amazing. Wife collector. Wife collector. <laughs> Wife collector. Oh, my God. So they didn't get married, but they were in a serious relationship. Um, they did wind up separating early in the winter of 1914-15 when he apparently did not know that she was pregnant. So he gets her oh pregnant. Oh, my God. And right. leaves. Yeah, he did not know. I bet he didn't. She, Classic. She <laughs> dies of tuberculosis. <laughs> she died of tuberculosis? No. Yeah. Shortly after giving birth to their son, John, no. in the fall of 1915. Yeah, we've talked about tuberculosis a couple times. My great grandpa had tuberculosis. TB. It was very you. fashionable at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'd look great if you had TB. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's true. Well, you'd you be great. very thin and you'd be the, very, like, yeah. The, the very, like, Victorian like, sense thin. of beauty is like to be super pale and yeah. so they like it was uh, fashionable. So they have TV parties to like <laughs> <laughs> I hope my kids get it <laughs> your kids One got last TV mouth to feed, bring them yeah. round bring them round <laughs> yeah cough up my kid cough up my kid it's like my third birthday party I had the chicken pox and my mom invited all the kids in town who hadn't had it yet oh my god she was like what oh fun party. Mitchell hasn't had chicken pox bring him down bring him down oh my god <laughs> cough on my chubby child. <laughs> <laughs> my chubby, not pale child. Not pale my enough child. Rosy-cheeked child. <laughs> he looks way too healthy. Exactly. 
So Canada had entered the First World War in early August 1914, and Archie had enlisted, but not immediately and not in Northern Ontario. Instead, he signed up the following May in Digby, Nova Scotia. Oh, he's back, back in Digby. This man just pops up because the like he'll just like sign up for like some kind of legal document, and you're like, oh, I guess he's here now. He's Dig- just a drifter. Yeah. In Digby. Digby, Nova Scotia. I mean, it's Nova the Scotia. place to be in 1914. It's, yeah, yeah. It rhymes, know. so it must be true. I don't think... Digby, Nova Scotia <laughs> has ever been the place to be. It is if you uh, like scallops. 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 Yeah, thank you for correcting so yourself. Much. Oh my God. <laughs> the devil food. The devil food. How dare you? Oh, I have a hard time pronouncing it. It's just scallops. Stop it. <laughs> Jesse is visibly uncomfortable. I hate the food so much. It's it's like I would. Why? If, if I could punch a scallop, I would. It's just. You can. You can. I can't. No, stop <laughs> it. I want. Do you want? If I had known, I, I would have. I suppose I could. Kid, I, I would have brought some scallops for, for me to, to punch. punch. Yeah. Like, Jesse's <laughs> skills. Podcasting. Scallop punching. punching. Scallops. Only and specifically Excessive scallops. Excessive drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy drinker. <laughs> if only those scallops weren't hypothetical, then I could punch them. <laughs> we had one reviewer say that he hated our podcast so much he wanted to punch it. Oh, yeah, oh. you posted that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we read it. <laughs> I like that idea, though. Yeah, what, did, what was our face. podcast called? <laughs> our podcast called? Yeah, and I think that it's review. called Minute Women. No. <laughs> what did that lady uh, say that our podcast was? A useless. Oh, yeah. Uh, of the, it of was the like a ether. profound waste of space. Yeah, a profound waste it's of space on the ether. On the, in oh the wow! Ether. Yeah, ether, that's yeah. poetic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, oh we had one just dumb and bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, really eloquent. You want to make a T-shirt? Oh, I left that, that one. Really that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna email it. <laughs> So he signed up for the First World War because, you know, he's clearly been making good decisions up until this point. <laughs> right. Uh, I hear it on the front. They really need knife throws. And get out of <laughs> his first military order was to get his hair cut. Oh. His oh, hair at nice, this point yeah. hung down to his shoulders. Uh, when asked upon his enlistment if he had had any previous military experience, he said he had in Mexican Scouts 28th Dragoons. Which I'm pretty sure is a lie because he has like no military experience. Okay. Right? Had he even been to Mexico? <laughs> I just don't know. Although up to not. this point, he's developed skills out of the blue, apparently. Right? Like <laughs> for just, knife throwing. He's like you know, yeah, chained in an attic for the most of his childhood, and then suddenly he's a knife thrower, <laughs> piano player, an expert drinker. Like I don't think he learned all that in his attic. I just <laughs> crazy things happen in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> you never know when you're just going to stumble he across makes, a baby grand. Yeah, he, may, he, he saves up all this money to to end, like pay his entrance fee into the woods. He goes into the woods where there is just a pile of knives and a piano. And a piano. Yeah, and that's where he's, he's, he spends a good portion of his, yeah. Oh my God. This is why I wasn't a history teacher. This is the only reason. The only reason. It's the only thing standing they in failed way. the criminal check. Because I punched too many scallops. I punched too many scallops. And the drinking. Exactly. At the front, Archie was an excellent shot, served as sniper, and he did this until he had a serious injury in his right foot, which took him mm. out of the war in April 1916. A little pansy. Oh, Lost a toe, me. I bet. Now, when I hear foot injury... <gasps> did he drop a knife? 
<laughs> or a well, piano. I think you shoot yourself in the foot. That's what I assume. Whenever there's a serious foot injury, it's always some dude shooting themselves in the foot. However, maybe they realized that he was like flat-footed or something because my uncle wasn't allowed, or my grandfather wasn't allowed in the in the navy because he was flat-footed. You like wow, couldn't really? march. Oh yeah, that was like a way people like got out of going to war. If you oh, were but he was super bummed about it. Oh, yeah, it super been, bummed. It could have been trench foot. Potentially uh, trench foot. It says, yeah. A, yeah, it says a serious injury. Trench foot is also up there, I guess. It's like athlete's yeah. foot, but worse. But way worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's hospitalized in England, and by chance, he spent some time at a military hospital in Hastings. He got in touch with his two aunts. They, in turn, contacted Ivy Holmes, the daughter of a good friend of theirs and a boyhood acquaintance of Archie's. Ivy was an attractive, outgoing woman who had become a professional dancer. She and her troupe had performed throughout Europe before the war. With his aunt and Ivy, Archie reverted to his English accent, did not drink, and, of course, made no reference to his marriage in Tamagami. Oh, my God. <laughs> and two, two children. children. Yeah. And two <clears throat> children. Three children, I think. No, two. 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 I so, lost count. So, so, he, so did he. He just instantly snapped back to being British. He's like, yeah. oh, blimey, I've had a funny thing. I, <laughs> I wasn't in the woods, I swear. <laughs> Stop talking about knife throwing. Mind the no gap. About knife. <laughs> How's the queen doing? Or I guess king at this point. Yeah. How's the king doing? How is that old bugger? <laughs> So Ivy enjoys Archie's company. He's a wonderful storyteller, and they fall in love. And with his aunt's blessing... Archie does frequently. Yeah, you know. (laughs) uh, With his aunt's blessing, they get married uh, in February of 1917. Ivy accepted Archie's plan of a life together in the Canadian forest, and the couple decided that Archie would go ahead and then she would follow him to the New World. Uh, (laughs) While the... Because while the war is going on, um, wives are not allowed to travel with... Oh. Soldiers. Interesting. Yeah, so they have to wait until the war is over. They could have sex or something. Who's to say? Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. (laughs) So he sails on the 19th of September, 1917, and Ivy never saw him again. (laughs) Oh, my God. Did he, like, say, I'll send you a map? I'm shocked. (laughs) Where to find me? Please tell me she was pregnant. (laughs) I don't think she's pregnant. So, Is this wife number three or four? Four. This Three. is wife number two. This is official wife oh, number two. Official wife oh, number two. The other yeah. one wasn't. Big but he got some lady pregnant, and then she died of TB. Serious Ugh. relationship number three. Serious relationship no. number three for Archie. No. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, Archie returned to Bisco. He was overwhelmed by the horrors of war. He had witnessed inconceivable slaughter at the front, and his injury, which never fully he never fully recovered from, was a constant reminder of the conflict. Following his return from service in the First World War, Archie's use of alcohol increased, and it was not unusual for him to appear drunk in public. <laughs> it was just such a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> Alcoholism. <laughs> like, he was drunk in public sometimes. Wow. <laughs> just walking around. <laughs> just out. In the daylight. In the daylight. In the, daylight. <laughs> in the sight, like, the mm-hmm. light of God <laughs> and the community. <laughs> On a Sunday. <laughs> On a Sunday, for that matter. <laughs> Moreover, his personal life was still a total mess. He made no call to Ivy to join him in Canada, and he finally told her about his previous marriage. 
she obtained a divorce on <laughs> in 1922 girl, get it. on the grounds of bigamy. Yeah. <laughs> Although he had visited Angel shortly after his return to Canada in 1917, he soon decided to not remain with her. So that's the first wife. He goes back and visits her. Of course. <laughs> in Bisco, he learned about his son, uh, John Girard, who came home from Chapleau Indian Residential School in the summer. The boy did not know who his father was, however. So this is like the first time he's ever meeting his Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been at a residential school, and now I'm meeting the dad that was never around. Yeah. It's like, that's the worst year. Yeah. Just the fun worst times summer. all around, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Edith Langevin, a native woman who was John's guardian, did not tell him until Archie had moved away. So he's like meeting Archie. But no one's telling him that that's his dad. Archie's probably wasted it and like, hey, I'm your dad. And the kid's like, okay. Yeah, sure. But also he's like pulling any kid. He's like, hey, I'm your dad. Which is a kid he finds. We just, we just want to introduce you to this man. Why? Oh, no reason. <laughs> just to show you a bad influence. Exactly. Just to show that you dodged a bullet, kid. So the only thing that kept uh, Archie together during this time was his friendship with the Espanols uh, and Ojibwe family. And so, alcohol. <laughs> I don't know if that's keeping him together <laughs> or promoting the opposite, but, you know. He stayed with them, he perfected the Ojibwe language, and he learned more about their way of life. He was finally doing what he had set so, out oh, to sorry, do at the sorry, age of on. 17. He perfected the Ojibwe language? He, he's perfecting their language, yeah. Like... His use of it or their language? Like their he, language, he yeah. He perfected. So he's learning to speak it fluently. She's saying that he, she, he perfected, like, he, he's yeah. using it. Like, if yeah. I perfected French, it would be like I'm perfecting my usage of French. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. the language itself. He's not changing <laughs> it. <yeah. laughs> okay. Just, that would be a very British thing to do. <laughs> he's like, so I've listened to your proposal and I have a few recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just work from the ground up. <laughs> so he's gaining a new appreciation for the northern forest, um, but Archie isn't like a brand new man. In 1925, Archie left Bisco and returned to Lake Tamagi to Angel. She had last seen him two years earlier when she was quite ill. <laughs> when she, he bailed. <laughs> he <laughs> bails on her when she's quite ill. He was like, see ya. <laughs> Bye. It's like, I don't know if I can deal with this right now. <laughs> I've got a lot on my plate. <laughs> no, no, you promised whenever you... Quoted him. <laughs> I got a lot on my plate. <laughs> I got a lot on my plate, love. No, I've seen the auras of war. <laughs> it's like Johnny Depp as Jack yeah, Sparrow. Yeah, I was going to say it's like Jack Sparrow. That's how I picture him. Oh my gosh, him. yes. He just that's like what they should cast. Oh my God, Get Pierce Brosnan out of here. We need but Johnny Depp. But not just Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp as Jack as Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. Like, I want as Grail. Yeah, I want Jack Sparrow as Grail. <laughs> Well, that would be um, who, who was he? For, who was he mimicking when he was Jack Sparrow? Keith Richards. Yeah, Keith Richards. Yeah, and it's, it's, it was two. Actually, it was Keith Richards combined with Pepe Le Pew. So, <laughs> it's true. So it's Johnny Depp as Keith Richards combined with Pepe Le Pew as Jack Sparrow as, as Grayall. I want to take as I, Archie I, Bellini as Grayall. Yeah, like I, I so can probably do this. I want to take the Heritage Minute of Grayall and replace Brosnan with. Not Johnny Depp, but with Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. <laughs> he doesn't have to say anything because he doesn't say anything. He just right. <laughs> so it's Jack Sparrow being like, Bob's and Weaves. Bob's and Weaves. 
You just do one of those deep fakes. For those of you listening, oh, yeah. For those of you listening who can't see, we are all doing our best Jack Sparrow walk right now. So, uh, we should go back through There's all the heritage minutes, doing deep fakes, replacing the faces. Oh, that's funny. With our ideal cast. Yeah, 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 yeah. All with Jack Sparrow. <laughs> that's the ideal cast. Well, I laid yeah. these baskets back. Imagine Laura Seacord running through the woods. Just smell burnt toast, love. <laughs> hey, bother you know, I can't read a word. Is this normal? <laughs> These are horrible Jack Sparrow impressions. <laughs> Please email the Minute Women podcast to tell us how terrible our Jack Sparrow impressions are. Uh-huh. All right, so moving on. So, yeah, he goes back to see Argel. Uh, he doesn't stay long. But she does give birth to their their uh, no. second child, Flora. So in he uh, third child. knocks her up. So he stuck around just long enough. So he now has months. three kids. And she fell for him again. Yes. Oh, God. I know. Yeah. It's kind of fell sad. into bed. <laughs> <laughs> Girls got to eat. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry, Angel. And he looks just like Johnny Depp. So I like, can blame her, really. Right? Yeah. She's yeah. only human. Uncanny. She's yeah. only so a chance meeting in the late summer of 1925 with Gertrude Bernard led Archie to propose that they spend a winter trapping together in the Abitibi region of Quebec. So Gertrude was of Algonquin and Mohawk descent. She grew up a strongly independent young woman and was described by some as a tomboy. Her friends nicknamed her Pony. Ooh. So now it's Jack Sparrow and like Pony Boy from Pony Girl <laughs> from the outside. Stay Silver. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Because women are less than men. Ooh. <laughs> womp, womp. That's not where I was taking that, but okay. <laughs> oh, and she's 19. Uh, uh, and Archie's 37 at this point in the story. Wow. Oh, yeah. L- literally double her age. Yes. Yes. So this look, though, this guy knows math. Yeah, well, that was pretty quick. No, yeah, it was, was actually literally double. It was almost almost, almost so literally. So I don't do maths as I would. Well, say. Oh, not yeah. to worry because <laughs> I only know not, one math. Yeah, and, and it's not, bad. It's bad. <laughs> See, my my kids say math now because we moved to Canada, oh, yeah. and I go, yeah, maths. <laughs> Sometimes like, they'll say math, and I just go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not to worry. This is not a math podcast. So <laughs> Reese is just really inspired by the snakes that we heard earlier. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like the turning point of Archie's life is meeting Gertrude. So he's like actually in love with her. Um, okay. He he demonstrates this by changing her name. He calls her Anna Horio. <laughs> Why? Anna Horio. Anna Horio. Anna Horio. Anna Horio. She had been raised in the town of Mattawa, Ontario, east of North Bay, not in the bush, so not in, like, the forest. Right. Archie was the the one. (laughs) (laughs) Archie's the one who taught her how to survive in the forest. That winter, however. After I get piano playing. (laughs) (laughs) After we do our piano lessons, sweetheart, uh, I'm going to teach you how to throw a knife and live in the woods. That winter, however, he had great difficulty in locating enough fur-bearing animals to make a living. In particular, he found a tremendous decline in the number of beaver, the result of an influx of trappers from other areas. Um, And so Ontario was having to ban non-native peoples from running trap lines. Yeah. Archie wrote that 
it was Anaharia's influence that led him to think more deeply about conservation and that she encouraged his writing. After accompanying him on a trap line, Anaharia attempted to make him see the torture that animals suffered when they were caught in traps. He hunted down a beaver home where he knew a mother beaver would be and set a trap for her. When the trap caught the mother beaver, Archie began to canoe away to the cries of the kitten beavers, which greatly resembled the sound of human infants. Oh my god. That's what they say. So what? yeah. That's so it sounds like No, you're no, 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 no. You guys no. have no idea. So I oh, We don't. No. <laughs> so my my dad uh, snares rabbits and rabbits scream like little babies oh and you hear God. them it's like they scream bloody murder you hear them squealing it's horrible um, because traps don't kill animals um, so you then go and then you look down at it and you're like meet your maker little buddy and then you usually kill it <laughs> do you have it. to say dad. that before yes you do that we're in Canada now small animals <laughs> this <laughs> is what you have to say you have to be a man about it I love that your dad is casually telling you this it's like oh yeah Grace I went I used to go Why? as a child on the back of the four wheeler because what was my dad going to do with me I grew up in rural Nova Scotia <laughs> what a, what a fun family action. he stole he stole <laughs> Uh, one of the green containers from Sobeys, and uh, he would strap me in it with like my baby stuff and take me what? to go rabbit snaring in the woods. Oh, God. Skinning a rabbit, easiest thing you'll ever do. I don't Comes know off that's true. I don't think that's, that's true. I, I, oh my god! I I'm learning rabbit. so much about you right now. <laughs> Mark, Mark is like, and Mark's like, he's meeting a whole new person. Yeah, just, <laughs> Mark's like, <laughs> and then my parents got divorced when I was eleven, and we moved to Lunenburg, and you know, it was a much different life. And you never got to kill rabbits again. <laughs> no, no. Skinning a rabbit is the easiest thing you'll ever do. It's like pulling off a sweater. It it's comes the off most like a sweater. Thing I've heard all month. You put the Minute you Women podcast. Put your feet on it. Speech, I don't want more details. No, no, stop. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> you, know, you know he said he... Something more pleasant. Scallops, scallops, scallops. <laughs> he said he'd been kayaking away from the screams that sounded like babies. He'd been yes. doing that his whole life anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, but dum dum oh, so, that was good. Oh. <laughs> that was good. So was if whether it was a beaver crying through starvation and mourning... Or if or it's whether, a real or child. Or his own child. Yeah. His own child. It made no difference to Archie. This is the only life I know. <laughs> but you, so you paddled away, but he didn't go back. Well, I feel like he was affected this time. Is this the moral of the story? Well, he's he's with Anaharia, who didn't grow up doing any of this and hasn't abandoned any children that we know of. Right. Yeah. So she's just like, this is horrible. <laughs> Um, so Anaharia begged him to set the mother free, but he could not be swayed from his position because they needed the money from the beaver's pelt. The next day, he went back for the baby. So, oh, I'm sorry. What? Yes? The babies have been... I'm trying to picture no, what's going No, so the babies are alive. They've taken the mother. They're going to kill oh, the mother, take her pelt. So I as see, a result, okay. the babies are totally going to die. They're going to die. die. Uh, I understand. Them. I thought he had trapped a bunch of babies. And he's like, nope, they're just going to remain there until they die of starvation. No, no, no. She's no, like, no, please no. put them out of the misery. No. Never. Just, no. <laughs> they're, okay. just, they're, just in the, they're just in the den. They're just, yeah. yeah. They're, they're just crying because yeah. their mother has been killed. Unless yeah. it's, it's a, a very film. Bambi situation. Well, they might get raised by rabbits and other animals like Disney. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's songs. why he had the menagerie. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so the next day, he goes back for the baby beaver, beavers and the couple adopts them. So oh. Anaharia is like so distressed, which I will say, this is totally what happens when it's like an old man and he's like sugar baby. And she's just like, well, what about the babies? And so they adopt exotic animals. <laughs> and For he's babies. just like, will you just shut up? Will you just shut up if I let you have the babies? And I will she's get like, the baby beavers for you. She's like, okay, daddy. 
that's 100% what she called him. <laughs> so this experience led him to believe that hunting of any kind was immoral. So he's had this, like, come-to-God moment that, like, hunting is bad. Because she told him to. Because she was sad about it. Right. Which also is wow. not a good representation of indigenous lifestyles. Yeah. Like, I know he's, like, he's a huge for conservation. Yeah. and uh, But the, the idea that hunting right. of any kind is immoral. Well, although I talked about my dad, that was not for pure sport. Like, my dad eats all of the yeah, game yeah, yeah. that he kills. Like, oh, it's yeah. not, my dad doesn't do that. For the pleasure of killing. Like, he's oh, yeah. very much, like, a that grew up. No, like, he grew up, like, with him and his dad and his dad's <clears> dad. Like, this is just a thing that, this is just a thing that they do. So, yeah. like, it never, as a kid, like, it was never to me as, like, this was being mean to little baby animals. Like, yeah. it was that this is, like, what just what you do. This is the season for this, and then you make this. and Yeah, and, like, it. respecting that. And, like, I think it's a huge part of a lot of First Nations cultures in Canada that you have this sense that effective hunting and proper hunting is part of the natural life cycle of the area. Like I know back home we have, we're like, we're overrun with moose because there was for a long time, just this flat out ban on hunting moose. And so they had to have a call for hunting moose. And it was only Mi'kmaq people that were allowed to participate in the call, which was hilarious because there was this huge protest. Some white people protesting, they're like, how dare you hunt moose? And then other white people protesting alongside them who are like, how dare you let me not hunt the moose? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, whoever thought this alliance would happen? (laughs) What a weird combination. I know. (laughs) Welcome to our current political climate, which this is not a political podcast, so we will not get into it. But this, this, I will say, the CBC interviews were hilarious because there was just a one they'd be like interviewing some people and they're like it's immoral you shouldn't be hunting in national parks like da, 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 da. and then it would go to this next guy who clearly like pulled up on his like four wheeler and he's like in his like suit he's like listen we have no problem with hunting moose we just want to do it too <laughs> but I guess like the indigenous it was a kind of an element of stewardship wasn't it it was like take from the land but also it, it is not, yeah it still is conserve and protect yeah, yeah absolutely time. an element of stewardship for sure but then, yeah. he, but then he decided he knew better and they shouldn't hunt at all they shouldn't hunt and at all because any kind of hunting and, is immoral yeah. which is fine you can have that perspective it's just when you say you're an indigenous person and that you're representing like the yeah. indigenous way of life <laughs> by fully misrepresenting what their philosophies yeah, yeah, exactly. are <laughs> right So Archie began writing about his life in the forest and about environmental conservation. His first published article being for the influential English magazine Country Life in 1929 and the next in 1930 for Forest and Outdoors. So he's got a whole bunch of publications putting his articles out. He's infamous. Um, And this was brought out by the Canadian Forestry Association. So like they recognize that he can be used as a good media tool to bring attention to forestry. When Country Life asked for a book, he used the new name he had given to Forest Out and Outdoors, and the work appeared as The Men of the Last Frontier by Grey Owl in uh, late 1931. So this is the first time he's officially using his pseudonym. And he named himself. He named himself, yeah. Uh, Does this seem like the type of guy who would name himself... Yes. He's naming other people. <laughs> yeah. But, well, what I actually did is he rebranded. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's, he's going through a relaunch. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to be known for drinking and knife throwing exactly. anymore. <laughs> well, fo- actually, we can keep the knife throwing. That's pretty badass. <laughs> the focus group said that the owl, owl is wise. So, you know, that's a good animal to associate with. <laughs> right. There we go. And gray is There's just actually, like a chill color. It's a neutral color. <laughs> yeah. well, there we, go. we actually know why he called himself. Oh, oh yeah. No, I don't know. It, yeah. was, it wasn't rebranded. No, Grace is going to tell you. <laughs> so in the book, he explains like uh, kind of his valid concerns about the future of Canada and his forests. And he explains the story of the beaver pelt and how Anaharia had really helped him understand the need for conservation and protecting animals. Um, the choice for the name Gray Owl came easily since he had imitated the hoot of an owl since his boyhood days. That's it. He should have just called himself Attic Snake. (laughs) Where are all my mice? (laughs) The publisher explained his author's background in a note in the book. His father was a Scot. His mother was an Apache Indian from New Mexico, and he was born somewhere in Rio Grande 40-odd years ago. (laughs) 40-odd. Yep. <laughs> That's his background. <laughs> Roughly 40 years ago. And, like, and no questions. <laughs> Please do not ask any more questions. And he's ne- did I say, and he's never been to Hastings. <laughs> and he's absolutely never been to Hastings once yeah. in his life. <laughs> and he said, who's Hastings? <laughs> <laughs> Archie was becoming uh, very famous as Grey Owl. His articles had led to his appointment in the spring of 1931 as a conservation officer or a caretaker for park animals with the Department of the Interior's National Parks branch at Riding Mountain National Park in Manitoba. After six months, he was transferred to Prince Albert National Park in Saskatchewan. During the Great Depression, a time when thousands of Canadians were thrown out of work, Archie managed to keep a job. He completed his next three books in the Prince Albert Park. The, quote, Beaver Man was known to live at Beaver Lodge. What an unfortunate nickname. Was it a, was it a Saudi? <laughs> Not a Saudi. Uh, it's, a, it's a log cabin that was roughly 18 by 20 feet. Um, the beavers that he and Anaharia had tamed built their dam uh both inside and outside of the cabin. Shut up. So, so they had like a beaver family. <laughs> they had a beaver family. Wow. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> because they had they made sure that there was like an underwater tunnel under what? the log cabin what? so the beavers could like come and go as they pleased, what? which is kind of cool. That's, That's amazing. Actually pretty That's sick. incredible. <laughs> so this is his good this idea. This is some Narnia shit right here. This, this is a Disney film. Yeah, this is Seriously. talking beavers guiding you through your journey. This is, they just came <laughs> through the wardrobe, you know, like. Yeah, you'll see. I like to think they'd solve crimes together. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the beavers in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like, the very like first part of the book. Did you just miss my joke? Oh, yeah. Yep, I did. I do <laughs> that a lot. Over here, yeah. <laughs> happens when there's two other people. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I surrender my joke to Linnea. She said it first. <laughs> I said it was some Narnia shit. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> that was a joke. That was it. And it was funny. If you want to email in. <laughs> Please email in. <laughs> we need a joint email now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that being said, despite his Disney perfect life, uh, his consumption of alcohol at Prince Albert National Park created friction between himself and the park's branch as he was seen to, quote, indulge too freely in liquor. Where is he getting all this booze? I mean, he's probably making it. Like, I guess. Well, I'm thinking, like, when you said that, you know, he went into the woods to survive by himself or with his his 19 year old third wife or something. I don't know. <laughs> and 
And he couldn't make enough to live off of with the pelts. I'm thinking, like, you're you're living in the woods. You yeah. know, you've got a log cabin. You're hunting. You know how to hunt. What do you need to it's make booze. a living for? Booze is oh, the first thought booze. that came to my mind, right? Liquor, like, yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I bet that, the, I bet the uh, advantageous 19-year-old, though, taught him how to make some moonshine. Potentially, yeah. yeah Maybe that was the end. Moonshine. But it's just also, also <laughs> he's, I mean, he's had a traumatic childhood. Yeah, he's he's probably got some sounds form. like a fun childhood. <laughs> but he's, he's probably got some form of PTSD from World War One. Yep, definitely, and an injury that reminds him every day of the horrors of war. Oh yeah, yeah. nonstop trench foot. Yeah. Nonstop trench foot. <laughs> Welcome to history, Reese. Chronic trench foot. <laughs> and yet he's living in the woods in this kind of idyllic. Uh, you know, cabin living sol- with the beavers, sol- solving, <laughs> solving crimes in a van with beavers. I just can't help but imagine he's living, but like just in the woods. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the freeways right there. But I guess the, al- the alcohol is part of that kind of what he's been through in life. I guess. Yeah, I think that alcohol is definitely like a coping mechanism. There could yeah. also be some kind of genetic disposition to it given that his father did the exact yeah, yeah. same thing. He could also just like it. So his excessive alcohol consumption constantly threatened Grail's position in the Dominion Parks branch in Ottawa. He was supposed to meet a group of important governmental officials at the studio of Yusef Karsh who had organized a dinner in his honor. However, as the dinner began, Grail was absent. Mm. Karsh later found him, quote, raising a drunken row in the bar, end quote. <laughs> his public display... Raising a drunken row. <laughs> yeah. Like a... Yeah, the old piano and knife <laughs> Do you want to hear about my dad? It's dark. <laughs> this public display of a Parks Branch employee drunk in public caused James Harkin to have to defend Grayell's position within the Parks Branch to the Assistant Deputy Minister Roy A. Gibson. You know what that all sounded like to me? The whole like not showing up for like an event that you were supposed to be at is John A. When they, he was yeah. supposed to sign the uh, the Constitution. The Constitution. And he shows up months late. Three months <laughs> later. Uh, yeah. As, I, just, I, thought, I thought it was October. <laughs> I thought is it's this, not. Is this John A. Yeah. as Jack Sparrow again? Is this, <laughs> it's Linnea as oh, John A. Oh, or as was, Jack Sparrow as John A. It's Johnny Depp as Keith Richards combined <laughs> with Heavy LeFew as Jack Sparrow, <laughs> as uh, Archie Bellini, as Grey Owl, as Sir Johnny McDonald. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this, is, this podcast is just inception. It's only layers. <laughs> we can go deeper. <laughs> so from his publications and films that the National Parks branch had made with him and the beaver, Grey Owl became widely known in Canada and overseas. His popularity in Britain was phenomenal, so they love him over there. <laughs> they just love him. Horatio Dixon, a Canadian who had a thriving publishing firm in London, brought out his second book, Pilgrims of the Wild, by Grey Owl, in 1934. In the story of how, thanks to Anahario's influence, he had become a conservationist. The following year, his children's book appeared, The Adventures of Sajo and Her Beaver People. <laughs> Oh, my God. See, you, you beat me to it. <laughs> Her beaver people? Her beaver people. And it was a bestseller, ladies and gentlemen. Of course. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> I, I read it to my kids last night. <laughs> How is it? I love reading about Sajo's beaver. Well, her beaver people. Oh, her beavers. Yeah. 
<laughs> not just her beaver. <laughs> not just hers, her people's. And their beavers. <laughs> All of their beavers. Oh, my God. <laughs> At Dickens' invitation, he made a tour of Britain in late 1935 and early 1936. Did you say a Dickens' invitation? So Horatio Dickens is the poet. Oh, wait, I was yeah. like, Charles Dickens? Not, not that Charles Dickens, no. <laughs> There's only one Dickens. That dude's dead. That dude's long dead. Like, whoa. I think. I wonder what his kid... Well, his, Remember, his, we know him. Yeah, his kid does make an appearance in one of our episodes. Yeah. He, was a, he loves books. Yeah, he was like a, an agent with the Northwest Mounted Police. Yeah. Charles, Charles Dickens' son? son? Yeah. Hubert Dickens? <laughs> not no, not Carl Hubert. Dickens. Carl Dickens. Right, a yeah. way less popular one. <laughs> <Yeah>. Carl Dickens. <laughs> the one that he sent to Canada to just like get away from him. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Thanks to his publisher's uh, promotional skills and the attraction of the message of the modern Hiawatha, which I guess is the people. Okay. Uh, the four-month trip the proved <laughs> the beaver people. The four-month trip proved extremely successful. In his lectures, accompanied by his films, he told his audiences about the vast northern forests and their human and animal inhabitants. His overriding theme was quote: "Remembering you belong to nature, not to it, not it to you." Okay, so that's a good you know, message. That's, yeah, nice. that's yeah. nice. Yeah, that is yeah. nice. It's lovely. It doesn't really, like, mean anything, but, you know, it's nice. It's a nice message. Alcohol was still a major vice in Archie's life. Sure. (laughs) On the ship back to Canada from his 1935 British tour, it was noted that he drank heavily, ate only onions, and was noticeably ill. What? I wonder why. I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. How many times, Reese, have you and I just gotten to the bottle and just like, oh, my God, I could really use a fucking onion right now. <laughs> like an apple. Just uh, just like. That's right? my health kick after Christmas. That's January a- the 1st. Just onions till February. <laughs> it's a new keto diet. It's just onions. You'll smell awful <laughs> and, uh, and probably lose some weight. Yeah. Probably. My own sweat makes me cry. <laughs> But also, I would just like to highlight that this is on a trip from Britain to North America. That's like a long boat ride. It's going to be like three or four weeks. To be just eating onions. onions. And they're like, there's other food. And he's like, no, not Not for this guy. Maybe he was a picky eater. (laughs) I like that he's picky, but like onions is a go-to. That's all I like on the buffet, so... (laughs) Just raw onions. (laughs) His triumph in Britain brought him more publicity back home. One of his grandest moments in Canada was his talk in 1936 at the Toronto Book Fair. On the evening of November 9th, the tall, hawk-faced man, dressed in buckskins and wearing his long hair in braids, addressed a capacity crowd of 1,700 people at the King Edward Hotel. It's wow. like a huge crowd. Oh, that's a huge crowd. <laughs> it's a big audience for Mr. Grail. <laughs> he had just published his fourth and final book, Tales of an Empty Cabin. I thought it was going to be a cooking book about so sad. Whoa! Like, Whoa, guys, guys, I just had a revelation. Okay. Okay. He's gray owl, and like owls eat mice, and he was like the keep. Maybe he was eating all the mice. Potentially, it wasn't the snake. He's blaming the snake. He's blaming the snake, but it was him. It was really now him. we know why his rampant alcoholism was a thing. Right? Yeah. yeah, okay, that's and why he thinks like onions are great. Or He's like, have you ever tried <laughs> not eating mice? <laughs> it's delectable. <laughs> Yeah, like literally anything. Mice go down. He's only been eating mice this entire time, and suddenly, finally, someone's like, "Try literally anything else at all," and hands him an onion. He's like, "This is amazing! (laughs) Holy shit! Is this how the other half (laughs) lives?" What's 
I don't care, it's not mice. <laughs> From that moment on, I never ate another mouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's his fifth book. <laughs> Why was it called The Empty Cabinet? The beavers and his wife left him. Or? I'm really not sure, but it sounds sad. It sounds like yeah. it's a, he's an empty nester. Um, oh, well, tales from an empty cabin. Tales from so an empty sad. Cabin. I know. The oh. fair's organizers had to turn away more than 500 people at the door. Inside, the champion of the Canadian wilderness argued in his deep and thrilling voice, quote, Canada's greatest asset today is her forest lands. In my latest book, I have attacked the average Canadian's ignorance of his own country. He is prouder of skyscrapers on Young Street and the price of hogs. He can... <laughs> <laughs> They are exorbitant. <laughs> How many times have I complained about the price of hogs? <laughs> there goes Jesse on his fucking hog rant again. Oh my God, will you ever shut up? <laughs> uh, he can have those. Sorry, I just now I'm picturing a pig with like an onion in its mouth. <laughs> He can have those any time, but he, we can't replace the natural resources we are destroying as fast as we can. In Canada, Grey Owl pleaded there was no longer an overabundance of wild country and wildlife. He called for an end to the plundering of the country's hinterland. The price of fame was high. Although the birth of their daughter, Shirley Dawn, in August of 1932 had brought much happiness to him. Another kid. Kid number four. So this is kid number four, but at least he's like around for this one. Okay. For for a while, spoiler alert. Uh, the relationship deteriorated as his mission as a conservationist became all-consuming. Uh, sorry, for interrupting. Who did he get pregnant? Was it... it so this is Anahari, yeah. Oh, this so she, is the same one. Stuck around. Yeah, so they never okay. get married, but they are, like... like I just assumed, like, Tales from an Empty Cabin kind of insinuated, like, at yeah. some uh, point. The well, man's also a liar. <laughs> so, well, it gets empty. Well, his young wife, anxious to have a full life of her own, found his new sedentary ways and his constant writing excessive. Friction. Constant cr- writing? Constant writing. She has the weakest complaint against him, to be honest. Yeah. It's like, you're writing all the time. But this is what happens when you marry someone who's 18 years younger than you. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's so successful. He's got so many number one published books. I hate it. Oh, I just want to go to All Canada's this Wonderland. money. Just- <laughs> Remember that he spends to- on booze <laughs> and renamed me. You think she gets any of that money? I don't. He's, the real complaint was the onions. <laughs> She's like, I really just can't do with this anymore. Frictions increased and they separated in 1936 after his first British tour. Later that year, he married Yvonne Perrier, a French-Canadian woman from Ottawa. She accompanied him on his second and final tour of Britain in late 1937. It lasted three months and included a Royal Command performance at Buckingham Palace. Wow. He followed his trip with He's a- really a, quite a ladies' man. Like, he could just, he's like, oh, that marriage is over. Next. This is, Next. This is amazing. I got a question. You know when he did the performances, was he, was he, do, he I'm guessing he wasn't doing a British accent. He was putting on an estimation of an indigenous yeah, accent. Yeah, he's he's doing his best to be like Canadian. So I think I think people liked him and they welcomed him because he was approachable to right. their sensibilities right. because he's not indigenous, but he's like seems like he's, he's like just exotic enough right. for them. Is he being looked at kind of like a spectacle? Um, or are they actually interested in what he has to say? Or is it like, ooh, it's like this I'm sure it's a combination of guy. both. Like, 
Was, like, he, was he selling t-shirts afterwards? <laughs> Did he have merch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stuffed grey owls. Exactly. Goodbye. Yeah. Little plush onions. <laughs> Glowing wands for kids. <laughs> Throwing knives <laughs> on display. <laughs> you can buy his first record. His piano recordings. <laughs> um... So the pioneer environmentalist devoted all of his physical and emotional strength to his mission by the end of his life. At the beginning of April 1938, he returned to Beaver Lodge totally exhausted. Only three days later, he had to be rushed to the hospital. Too weak to resist what was a mild case of pneumonia, he died on the 13th of April at the age of 49. He was buried uh, near his cabin on Ajawan Lake. The Toronto Globe and Mail, in its obituary on the 14th of April, April termed Grey Owl the quote most con- most famous of Canadian Indians end quote. The media on two continents had accepted without question his romantic story of his origins. Then the bombshell dropped. So, yeah. Angel, she's coming out of the woods. Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. Claiming that she was his legal wife uh-huh. and that he was English. Uh huh. <laughs> Which is the best revenge yes. right at the end. Angel, <laughs> tell it. And then he couldn't even defend himself because he was dead. Yeah, he was dead. That's, that's when you make claims. Exactly. <laughs> Furthermore, although she had not seen him for several years, uh, she is the one who winds up inheriting most of his estate because she's the legal wife. Right. In the weeks after his death, swift detective work on both sides of the Atlantic revealed Grey Owl's true identity. He had no North American ancestry at all. So the most famous Canadian Indian was really just Archie Bellany, born of the son of English parents and raised in the seaside town of Hastings. Amazing. And that's the story of Grey Owl. That's the story of Archie Hastings, a.k.a. Grey Owl, a.k.a. Jack Jack Sparrow, Sparrow. (laughs) a.k.a. Johnny Johnny Depp, Depp. a.k.a. Pierce Brosnan. How'd you like it? That was amazing. It's a hell of a... I can see what they made a film about it. But you said yeah. it was a bad film. Imagine if someone made a good film. I'm just going to quickly look up the IMDb. in Canada recently. Oh, well, I was also going to say, I don't think we, I don't know how well a film about Grey Owl would do not right now, well. anyway. Was, yeah. No, I think, I mean, not has, even not expose him as, as, if you focus on the bad parts of his story. I think he's very much the protagonist of the story, so right. I don't think it shows or really emphasizes. Well, let's look at his points. So, A, alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> B, shitty father. C, a hell of a conservationist. D, a great liar. Just, just I was going to say, and E, a great lay, apparently. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering about Angel. Like, I don't know much about her, but she seems She's a compelling. little crazy. Yeah. You know? Oh, oh, hon, the baby beavers. No, no, we're going to. No, that's gonna, not Angel. That's not Angel? That's on a Hario. No, that's on a Hario. Uh, too many, too, too many wives. Too many wives. Yeah, yeah. Too many yeah. wives. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, Angel. That's why he had to rename them. Yeah. Because he was just like, I'm never going to remember this. So, sweetheart, if we're going to be together, your name's Anna Hario from now on. <laughs> So I've, I've looked up Grey Owl. It has, it has 6 out of 10 on IMDb. Okay. Uh, but it has 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, my God. So I got a feeling modern our audiences don't take particularly yeah, well to this film. Was this, this was made, like, in the early 90s, it looks like. Yeah. Yes, it came out in 1999. So later than oh, I thought. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Later that's than later I thought. than, uh, so he was 007 
before this. So yeah. he owed someone a favor. <laughs> yeah. Like, sure did. But maybe it was a passion project. Maybe it was like an Oscar bait. Like, what yeah, if he yeah, thought, yeah, like, yeah, what yeah, if I play it. this? Like, you that's know, Last totally of Mohicans had come that's out. True. Yeah, you know, that's true. he's just like, what if I could just follow in this guy's footsteps no, exactly and also is. play an yeah. indigenous person? <laughs> I would, I would like to see this film remade by Wes Anderson. Oh, my God, oh. right? Uh, oh, my God. That would be, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That'd be a movie. I can't even, just the, like, the weird quirks that he has, like, yeah, yeah. eating onions exactly. on the ship. Exactly. Yeah. Just him on the front of a ship eating an onion, like, in a <laughs> shot on, like, a, you know, in, like, a really fl- But they, they never explain it. No, yeah. no, exactly. Like, Brad Pitt yeah. in, in um, Ocean's Eleven, where he's always eating in every single shot, but just have Pierce Brosnan... Just eating an onion, always eating an onion, and no one ever talks about it or explains whatsoever. Just he's just doing it. Or maybe it could be more like Fantastic (laughs) Mr. Fox, and he is a gray owl. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, I like that. (laughs) You can call me Wes. (laughs) (laughs) So they would just holding an onion, talking to someone, going, chewing it up, and then going. <laughs> and also, like whoever is playing him, which it's going to be Johnny Depp, uh, it's like method acting. So he has to eat the, the actual onion. Of course, Depp, that's yeah. what he would do. Yeah. It can't be a fake prop onion that's carved yeah. out of an apple. Yeah. Did Johnny Depp purposely contract COVID nineteen to lose his sense of taste so he could play <laughs> Grey Owl in the new film Grey Owl? <laughs> so, Reese, what did you think of your first Canadian Heritage Minute? Well, cherry popping. The I, I'll be honest, I didn't get a lot for that minute, but the following hour of talking about it, I did learn a lot. <laughs> like so, I said, the, the heritage minute failed. But, <laughs> no, but that's what I think. The heritage minute is a tease. They give you a little tickle to, find, to get your interest. Yeah. And, then, um, and then you go and do the research yourself. That's what I imagine it is. I think that was the dream. So yeah. we're really fulfilling the Canadian dream. We right are. Now. We are the Canadian say. dream. <laughs> are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it no matter how much it is. If you want to hold our hair while we barf in the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there. <laughs> 